Welcome to This Osteopathic Life. This is Dr. Amelia Beakey. I am honored to share with you the philosophy that has underscored my personal and professional life and explore how osteopathy truly is for the health of all things. I see these principles in action every day in my varied roles as physician, parent, athlete, writer, musician, coach, and entrepreneur, and hope they will light the way for the path to your best health. Please note that while I am a physician, this podcast is intended to share general information and encourage discussion about medicine, health, and related subjects. The content provided in this podcast and in any linked materials is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Thank you for joining me for episode 22 of season four of This Osteopathic Life. And oh, of course, that is where we are in episodes. I actually had to just go check my track list as I said that here today. And we are a bit off cycle. And maybe the best thing to do here is to stop anticipating that we're going to be on cycle and that there's anything wrong with the pauses and the duration and the release frequency. Now, I'm going to offer this up here for those who are listening and in honor of my business coach, Dr. Una, who acknowledges that consistency can indeed be key. And of course, knowing when the podcast comes out and being able to set your clock by that has its merit and value. I have those episodes where I know, oh, it's Tuesday. I'm going to listen to this today. And oh, good, it's Thursday. So this episode will now be released. Absolutely. Fully support that. And I've been there in the past. And it's also okay that this is where I am right now or indefinitely. Giving ourselves grace to be who and where and how and why we are is so important. And I'm here for the health of all things. And the health of all things allows for space for that to happen, allows for seasons to emerge, allows for consistency to be grand and for sporadicalness. <laughs> I want to say like sporadicity, which isn't a word, but allows for sporadic to also be okay. And through all of it, we are welcoming, not just allowing, because that feels a little bit like just crusting the bar. We're just in that space of it being kind of okay and tolerated, but instead being embraced and welcomed and seen and allowed on a new level to be what it is. And now I'm not shirking the importance of structure, right? That's an osteopathic tenet, structure and function and their interrelationship. Absolutely. Having a framework is so helpful and freedom in that framework is so critical. Flexibility in that framework is crucial. And that is where we are. And by we, I welcome you into that circle. By we, I mean me and me. And I've had the opportunity to spend more and more time with myself. And I shared that with you in the last episode on Athlon, which I discovered didn't have the second A (laughs) after posting about it all week. And I'm looking at my list of tracks here in front of me where I came to check on the episode number. And I had the same time for episodes 21 and 20, literally, to the second. 31 minutes, 39 seconds. How grand. Just knowing that everything happens in the time and at the duration that it should. So here we are today. And what I wanted to bring forward is something that has resonated on a number of different levels for me. Over time, certainly, but more so, I would say, in this past week, in the past month, and certainly in the past six months, And that is the concept of self-love, which you have brought through through the Living Conceivable program, which is well underway. You can still join. That is a four-week program. There are some live sessions. There are many live sessions. They're mostly all recorded. 
So you could come in and get the full experience retroactively should you so choose. So let me know if that's of interest to you. But what the course is about is self-love. And I've shared with you my love of the Princess Bride and the idea of as you wish from that movie, meaning I love you, but the I and the you can be the same person. It's you loving you and I love me. And what does that look and feel like? And what is so fascinating to me is that the participants in this program from all ages, stages, walks of life, goals, direction, why they're there, but all have the common challenge we'll offer up of not really examining and noticing that self-love is a thing, that it's available, that it can be utilized, that we might actually be engaging in it all day and not just crediting ourselves for that man just that's going to be my like gig of 2022 maybe not to change it but to notice it and to notice what I think about it and maybe just release judgment of the word just it's in my vernacular and I know that my intention is not to diminish what it is I am doing or saying when I implement that word in any case they're all in a space of recognition of whoa self-love hmm I don't give it much thought And maybe I don't engage in it, or maybe I am, and I just never acknowledge it. And is that okay? And of course, everything's okay. We're going to offer that up to start. But mostly saying, can we still benefit from self-love if we don't call it that, right? Is a rose any less beautiful by any other name? Is it required for us to say this is self-love, to feel it and to know it and notice it? Maybe. And here's the spoiler alert. I don't have the answers. These are questions that I continue to ask and about which I remain curious. And I think that's the opportunity is to wonder. And again, run fast and in the opposite direction from any sense of knowing with the capital K. There's been an episode in the past where I said capital N, which is its own comedic moment. But to say, maybe I am practicing self-love and I simply don't notice, never thought of it that way. And perhaps I am restricting self-love for a wide variety of reasons. And maybe I can open that up and allow myself to really see it, experience it, say it, name it, own it in a different way. Those are both options that are available to us. And where this traveled this week for me was into self-love specifically around the physical body. Now, we talk in osteopathic medicine about the unity of body, mind, and spirit, and really, I hope we've seen over these past four years, and certainly, this is not new in these past four years, but that's how long the podcast has been happening, and in our conversations here, that it's even more than unity. It is a oneness, and it is a oneness internally, yes, but a oneness that expands through us out into the world, and so while it can be helpful to think of this braid, right, of these three strands that are being woven together of body, mind, and spirit, that's really useful because many of us can relate to one of those more specifically or more closely or more easily than another. Some of us are really in tune with our bodies and in the physical. For me, that's often where I spend a lot of my time in movement. Some of us are really in the mind space and the thoughtfulness, and I can tune in there, that hyper-rational self as we talked about in the PQ episodes In season three, right, thinking and logical and facts and data and remembering, absolutely. I have a lot of engagement there. Spirit can be harder for me. It doesn't have as much form, doesn't have as much of that structure. So the function can sometimes feel a little bit nebulous and esoteric. Other people are all about the spirit realm and that level 
And so they are really all different dialects, different fascia, different forward facing of the same thing, of the oneness, of the love that we are. But in this past week, in thinking about self-love and how it's expressed and what it feels like and why we offer it and when we don't and what stands in our way, the idea around self-love for our physical body, the form in which we find ourselves, this you know, atomic structure, which is so funny, right? It's made of atoms, but when we think of the word atomic, what does that bring forward? That we inhabit, that is on this physical plane, that carries us through each day, that houses all of these organs that allow us to breathe and eat and cry and speak and play music and practice medicine and type on the computer, all of that. What is it like to have self-love for that body? And who is deciding what self-love looks like? Who is creating the qualifying criteria for us to arrive at a space of self-love? And certainly there are many influences from the outside world. There are pictures shown to us in all different spaces of what a beautiful body might be and what it looks like to experience love and often from another, but also from ourselves. And that might be pampering, right? So spa-like love for ourselves when we get a facial and paint our nails and have a massage, all of those, they can be wonderful and beautiful in ways that you show love to your body. It can be in the movement of our body, beautiful, graceful movements in yoga and in dance, strong movements with a barbell or with running, right? So there are ways that we can show self-love through the movement of our body. There are different abilities in bodies. And so there can also be the sense of how much love and compassion we show to ourselves when our body isn't doing what we might have expected it to do, isn't doing what a typical or socially accepted as normal body might be doing. And we could have many more episodes on that. And there have been some really inspiring episodes I've listened to, not on my podcast, but out in the world about what it means to have an able body, right? And the criteria around that and how so much of the external environment really invokes the disability because there are expectations that we should be able to ascend stairs or open doors in a certain way or access the bathroom in a certain way. And if we don't match those criteria of these external structures that are around us, there's something wrong with our body. When instead, when an environment is designed to accommodate and work with a body, it is much more and maybe even fully abled. In any case, When we're thinking about what it takes and what requirements we impose ourselves on the act of self-love for our physical bodies, I get curious about what that is. And many times there is a set expectation, whether it's visual and maybe it's a past version of you, or maybe it's a future hopeful version that you seek to attain, or maybe it's a comparison to, a, again, an image that you saw, someone you admire, person with whom you relate, someone maybe that you're training with if you were an athletic person and that's the space where you spend your time. And we think, oh, I would love my body when it looks like that. And I say this because I have been there. And more often than not, it is a comparison to other versions of me. While I do absolutely notice and often admire other people's physical form, and for me, quite often, it's an athletic person, right? quite muscular person, although I also see bodies of dancers and gymnasts who might be very lean and lithe and flexible. And I know consciously and cognitively, my body will not look like that or likely move like that. 
for a variety of reasons, being late to the game in training simply because of that anatomic makeup in my body. But I can admire those, but I don't often have this idea that I want to look like someone else. I do, however, have different versions of me at different stages in my life. And there are some to whom I very closely relate. And mostly, I will say, that I felt really good in that moment when I was in that version of my body. And now I understand that there are ages and stages, there are evolutions, there are injuries, there is nutritional intake that has shifted for me significantly over the past, let's say, 15 years. There are different types of movement, right? A runner body looks different than a triathlon body that looks different than a CrossFit body for good reason to be able to accommodate the activities that are being asked and tasked of it. There is a version of the body that is in full peak physical form. There's a version of the body that is injured and in that kind of gully of recovery. And as I process what I would like my body to look like, I do my best to stop and wonder, is it for that external visual? Because that is what is also garnering some feedback and input from the world around me. Although I'm going to offer to you that that isn't always a positive thing. But I really, if I'm honest with myself, it's about how I felt in that body and its functionality and feeling strong and capable and attentive and engaged. And the version of me, and it's interesting, I hesitate to even say this sentence, but I'm just going to put it out there, that I liked the best because it felt most comfortable, most familiar, most fully me, is a leaner version with a decent amount of muscle, but not so lean that I've lost all element of softness, right? So it's like a Goldilocks situation, right? Not too squishy, not too hard, and somewhere in between, but really a fairly muscular version. And I could look at some seasons. Last summer, there was a version of that. Immediately prior to my abdominal injury was a version of that that seemed most me than that version of me. And I'm going to associate it with things it could do, right? That body. And even there, that word it, and there's some recent episodes too, about the body, right? The body being me, being she, that's a pronoun that I identify with. And so noticing just how that dialogue creeps in when we're talking about it. And it was able to do, oh, see, there it is again. She was able to do all of the things that I really enjoy doing. That was a time when I was able to still run relatively quickly and I could swim and bike at a decent speed for a good amount of time. It could lift a reasonable amount of weight. I know I will never be the heaviest weight lifter in the gym. Was growing into some gymnastic spaces, could be active with my children, could take care of my patients because that for me is a physical task. I'm up on my feet and using my hands all day. Could play an instrument. I know even right here I'm going to pause Because look at all of that and look at all those external requirements to feel comfortable in that body, in my body, in her, in she. And pausing because there are times, there have been times and there will be times when those things are not available. And recognizing that if it's a requirement that the body that feels the most comfortable with me can do all those things in a time and a space when I cannot that can be really challenging. And I wonder if that's happened for you. Maybe there's been a version of yourself that could do X, Y, Z things, and the current version cannot for any number of reasons. Injury, 
illness, access, whatever that might be, and how that can cut you off from a sense of self-love and also of comfort and ease in your own physical form. And I'm not asking or suggesting that you just hop over and say, oh, I love my body just as it is, because that might not feel real or true. But I'm offering that we can notice it and notice that we've had all of these criteria to bring us to a space of both self-love of that physical body, but also comfort in the physical body and just be there and recognize, yes, I do have these requirements and that does mean a lot to me. And I do, right? Just own it. I do feel better when I can do all of those things and that's okay. I don't have to change that. I don't have to pretend that I don't feel better when that is the case. And I don't have to pretend that I don't feel better when I look at an image of the body. Cause again, we can't see it. I can see some of it. Right? I can look down and see most of it. Right? I can see my chest and my stomach and my legs and my feet. You see my shoulders and my arms and my wrists. So I can see most everything except for my head. I can't see the backside of me without some type of reflection. And certainly most often I see myself in photos and I often will take a picture of the workout that I'm doing because it will post something about it. So I have many workout photos in my archives. And certainly there are versions that I see and it resonates. Like, wow, right? Look at the strength in that picture. And what I'm training myself to do, because I will be very honest, I often see the body and not necessarily my face in that picture. And so as I'm going back through, I'm matching up it's kind of a retroactive analysis and saying, what does the light in my eyes look like in these pictures attached to these different versions of the body? Right? And begin to notice where was that joy and that light and that happiness and that comfort and recognize that that can be a telling sign. And we can tune into that because the light in our eyes can come and go in a different way than the shape and the form of our physical body from the neck down, right? Gaining And losing muscle can shift on a much slower rate. Although sometimes losing muscle feels like it can happen overnight. But it can take a lot, right, to rebuild muscle coming back from injury or to shape a certain part of your body in a specific way. But I like to think that the light in our eyes and that expression on our face and the way feelings are being transmitted through our system, still part of our body, right, and how interesting that we may or may not pay attention to that as much as we pay attention to our arms and legs and stomach and butt and whatever parts might draw your attention. That the light in our eyes can be accessed and illuminated much more expeditiously. And even that, and now we could talk about to the pain as a concept. I've been talking a lot about the princess bride and that concept of the movie. And when Wesley is kind of going toe-to-toe with Prince Humperdinck and talking about what will remain and just thinking about that, how powerful the eyes are and that in general, right, the eyes are part of what is accessible when other parts of our body might not be. Now, certainly, we could look toward visual impairment and challenges around the eyes. So this is not a one-size-fits-all concept, and I want to be very mindful of that, but I would also be curious and if it is the, the seeing of the eyes or simply the light that is within them, <clears throat> whether or not they are functionally engaging as a visual access point to the external world. And so for me, it's matching up, right? If I'm looking at these pictures 
And let me see, identify this was the body that didn't feel so strong when I was in the peak or the valley, if you will, of my recovery from the abdominal injury back in 2018. I felt terrible. I didn't have a lot of endurance. I felt weak. I was quite skinny. I default to skinny generally, I will say. Historically, that has been my default because I lose muscle mass when I cannot train. But I got a lot of external feedback about how great I looked. I was slim and slender and how great that was because when I'm quite muscular in the body that I feel the best in, I may get some what might be considered as negative feedback. You're too big. That's too much. It's too masculine, whatever that might be. And those opinions will always exist. You will never be in a perfect body because everyone has their own opinions about that. The perfect body doesn't exist. But there can be the perfect body for you in that moment of your choosing and of your embracing. And so as I began to think about where I am, and presently, I'm near to that body. But there is more softness there. And that may not be a bad thing, as I mentioned If I think about it, having some element of the softness is welcome. But there are some days when I feel heavier. And I honestly, I don't have a scale. I've weighed myself a couple times when I visit my mom. She has a scale at her house. And I'm still within the normal range for me, which is kind of a seven-pound swing. Most of us have an actual set point, right? So if we offer pretty neutral conditions, we're not significantly over or under eating. We're not significantly over or under exercising. Our body will kind of find its way to a range, in particular for women, that can fluctuate right during a monthly cycle. And so I haven't really been outside of that. But there are days and times when my legs feel heavier, you know, I'll go for a run and it just feels like there's more to move. And that has happened over the course of my experience of training based on different seasons. You know, when I did rowing and winter training, my legs did get heavy and I did run slower as an effect of that. And there are times when I do see a picture and think, hmm, right? That doesn't quite look like the me that I know and love, right? Putting that out there. And so I've been thinking about that. And many times, if there are changes we wish to make in our body, we start to make a deal with ourselves, right? So I'm going to you know, move for this many minutes or lose this number of pounds or this many inches or this much body fat or whatever that might be. And that's, that's okay. We could talk about that separately. And that might work for you. And that's okay if it does too. But what I began to notice was that I can see some actions I've been taking in the last few months that maybe are less than ideal. And actually, if I'm being perfectly honest about it, sleep is the one that has likely the most impact and most opportunity for growth. And again, you can go back and listen to the episode with Dr. Funke to talk about why sleep is so important on so many levels. But I began to notice what would I shift and the opening dialogue was to change my body. And then I thought, well, is that really what I'm trying to do? And it isn't. You know, I'm not looking to go back to or forward to any certain body that there might be in the world, any version of me or version of something else that might eventually exist. But what I would love to do and the most loving act feels like observing what is it that I'm doing each day? And what choices am I making? And food and nutrition were actually really low on the list of things that I would shift and change in relationship to any change I'm seeking in my body. And actually, I would look at sleep, and I would look at connection, and I would look at hydration, which we could talk about as being an element of nutrition. But I would look at more restorative and really spirit-oriented ways of being 
And yes, food. And I could see where I would go to an extreme. The Whole30 has been a great tool for me in the past as a reset, as a challenge, love a challenge, right? That whole swimming thing for 150 plus days. But then I thought, well, do I need such stringency? And in the past, I would have said, yes, right? Give me a boundary. Give me the framework. I will execute. But then I thought, well, Whole30 eliminates sugar, grain, alcohol, legumes, and dairy. And most of those I don't really eat anyway. But certainly sugar has crept in. Some dairy, right? But that's about it. And as I thought about eliminating those things, I said, well, that's fine. right? I could do without most of it. But I love goat cheese on the salad, which I consume most days. And I'm going to be honest, I, I love ice cream. And summertime in Michigan is almost synonymous with it. You know, if you live in a beach town, it's like you get ice cream almost all the time. And I thought, well, do I need to... Ex- eliminate it, exclude it entirely, or can I simply be more mindful and notice frequency and volume and check in if it's something I really want and would enjoy versus just kind of mindlessly because I have been doing it, do that. And then I looked at timing of eating and sometimes the snacks that I've been creeping in. And again, other things that I don't even really enjoy, but I consume because they're around, right? So we bought fudge the other day, which it is actually quite delicious, but I don't really love it, right? I love ice cream. Fudge, I could take it or leave it. But if it's there, right, I have some. And so I can make some different choices. And not even not eat it, but simply be aware and be more thoughtful in my choosing of it. And that might shift the volume or the frequency, or it might not. But I'm doing so more consciously. And thinking about movement. There are some things I would like to incorporate more. I have not swum as much, and I would like to, simply because the lake is quite beautiful right now. And celebrating this season in the water. And getting out in hiking, being in the woods more frequently. I've been going to yoga, which I've loved. And I've been engaging in workouts in a responsible way for me. Not so extreme, not so intense. And perhaps building in some more accessory training, more for the overall functionality of my body, not to shape it in any particular way. And so as I wrote this list down, I shared it with a friend with whom I often connect around this and many topics. And I hope you have a person in your life with whom you can share and brainstorm and fine tune and be received in non-judgment for whatever volume of time makes sense for you to connect. I'm so grateful for that in my life. I thought, you know, I'm not looking for any particular body. And I'm not saying I'm going to love my body when. I love my body right now for all it can and even what it cannot do. I I have limitations that I discover all the time. And I love it plus or minus those things, not because of them, but I can love it in addition to its capacity and its limitations. But I love it just because it's my body. It's what I have. And I'm choosing to love it. And because I love it, I'm going to be more thoughtful of these parameters that can create a nurturing and nourishing environment for the body. And so I'm going to commit to going to sleep a little bit earlier. And I could get stringent, right? And put some big parameters on and say, no, I'm going to go to sleep a little bit earlier each day and tune in for how much sleep I really do need. I do believe it's less than average, but it's probably more than what I am getting. And I'm going to touch back in to some of the reading and writing and journaling that have come off of my usual routine and not in a stringent way, but as a gift and invitation to be with myself, to be in this body and write and to read and to process and see how body, mind, and spirit are engaged in that act. And the physical turning of the book, love my audiobooks and podcasts, but the turning of the page is powerful. 
And I'm going to spend time in connection with my children and friends and reconnection, reaching out and building those relationships. And I'm going to engage in my work in a thoughtful way. And I'm going to get up and move in between sitting in front of my computer for tasks for my own health. And yes, I'm going to make more mindful choices around food, probably less of the sugar and some of the snacks that are there, but not eliminating them because there is joy to be found in that engagement. Is it a requirement? No. Could I say no to all of it? Absolutely. I have in the past, but I'm choosing to be more mindful of that and shift to improved hydration. When I observed Ramadan, I realized I really don't drink much water during the day. It wasn't that much of a shift. And I actually was hydrating more because I was very intentional about the before and after of you know when sunlight was happening during that time. And that was eye-opening for me. And from there, whatever version of my body feels most invited to emerge will emerge. And I will continue to love it as it is in each and every moment through each and every evolution. There is no requirement. There are no criteria. There is no silhouette into which I am stepping. And that felt very different than I want to go back to my body looked like this. And I'm going to do X, Y, Z in order to get there. And I'm going to take on this 30 day challenge and we'll check it at the end of the month. And I'm not naysaying or downplaying any of those. There are many ways to get to where we are going and also many ways to be exactly where we are. And my choice, inspired by the brilliant and wonderful participants in my Living Conceivable program and my dearest friend, is simply to act in love, to live as I wish, to know that I can make shifts and changes. I can also continue doing exactly what it is I'm doing and love that and embrace that and not judge that in any way, shape, or form. And know that I'm creating the best environment because it's the one that I'm in, because it's the one that I am intentional about joining, crafting. That my body, in its best form, will be here. And that doesn't mean injury-free. Actually, I'm sitting with a tweak in my back from Monday's workout fascinating because I felt amazing. I went in feeling like this is going to be great. I feel so strong. I'm moving so well. And there came the injury. And we could talk about jinxing it or whatnot. But what I notice is the offer of the message of, yes, you are good and strong and moving well. And you can engage these hiccups in these moments and they might be shorter or longer, or maybe you're not. And the invitation to love me, even and especially through that injured moment. So as you consider self-love in your physical body, what opportunity might you have to love it as it is, to craft an environment for it, and get curious about what will emerge and know that you will love it all along the way. And as we continue on this journey together, because there is that oneness of all of us, I'm encouraged that we can continue to unfold for the health of all things. This is Dr. Millie Beakey with This Osteopathic Life. Thank you for listening.